As we get started, I'd like you to take a look in your bulletin. Uh, those of you who are here, there's an insert on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. That is today. And uh, so far, we haven't uh, talked too much. We haven't talked at all about it. But it's something we want to draw attention to. We've begun a sermon series called Walking with Jesus about the life of Christ. And last week, we talked about Jesus being presented at the temple as a baby, less than a month and a half old. This week, we're going to be looking at Jesus' second visit to the temple. And uh, he's at 12 years old, and he's still a child. Children are very important to the Father. And Jesus himself affirms that clearly. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a day where we honor God-given life. And we recognize that every human life is sacred to God at every stage. We are created in the image of God. And so before we visit Jesus at the temple, I'd like you to imagine a scenario with me involving Jesus. Here's our imagination just slightly here. You know, the young boy at the temple that we're going to be talking about, he's also the son of God. God in human form. He grew up and he taught us, and he taught us who God was, and he taught us how to live for God. And his life was cut short. He was crucified. But in that death, he had victory. He destroyed the laws of sin and death, and he died for our sins, yours and mine. He was raised from the dead on the third day, and he demonstrated that victory over death, showing us this promise of our own resurrection and eternal life with him. Through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin, and we have the opportunity of eternal life. Now imagine with me for a moment that Jesus had never been born. Imagine a life without Jesus. You know, school systems and hospitals and on and on and on. We can list hundreds of things that would not exist if Jesus had not been born. Let's look at Mary for a moment. Mary, she was excited. She was about 15 years old or so and engaged to a good man, a skilled tradesman, a carpenter. And she was waiting for her coming marriage and she had everything going for her. She and Joseph were betrothed. They had already done the formal engagement ceremony. They did that at a younger age. And they weren't married yet, but they were legally joined together in the eyes of the law because of this betrothal. Everything was according to plan and according to the Jewish customs and even the young couple's hopes and dreams all hung on this. And then Mary found out she was pregnant. If people found out she was with child, it would bring shame on her family and, and shame on her because it was a system of shaming in that period of time. And under the law, they could even stone her for adultery, even though the scripture is clear that she was a virgin, but people might not have believed that. Imagine how she felt. Imagine for a moment. What if somebody finds out I'm pregnant? What will Joseph say? I mean, you could hear those questions there. 
Well, imagine Joseph's shock at finding out that Mary was pregnant. And when Joseph heard, and, and before the angel had appeared to Joseph, he thought about divorcing her and having her kind of quietly snuck away. Breaking the engagement required a legal divorce. That's how strong it was. But he decided he was going to do it quietly because he didn't want her to have that shame that a pregnancy out of marriage would have brought in that day. And I'm sure he didn't want her to have, you know, violent attack. He didn't want her to be stoned. And so that was his mindset. Now, what if, like today, abortion had been available as an option? Imagine this young couple, they're feeling really desperate. They, they may decide at this point to trust God or they may decide not to trust God in this situation and, and take matters into their own hands. And what if they had had that little baby aborted? What if the option had been to abort the Lord Jesus and Jesus had never been born? Now, it may seem like a bit of a stretch, this scenario, in their day especially, but not so much today. Last year, there were almost 43 million abortions around the world, uh, becoming, for the very first time, the leading cause of death on the planet. The leading cause. In this country, about 862,000 abortions happened last year. Now, it's been steadily declining over several years, but it has not got close to being done. Too many unborn children, and think about where they might go. Too many unborn children who might be very important to our futures are being lost every single day. And God mourns every one of those lives. God values each life. And as followers of Jesus, we find them precious too because we value what God values. And we believe that every life is sacred. So what does that mean for us? It means not only protesting against the practice of abortion, but also deciding to help those who decide to keep their child to provide assistance and help them raise their children in a loving environment surrounded by those in the community of faith who have faith and hope and love. And we also need to embrace those who have been through abortion and love them and lead them to healing through Jesus Christ. We also need to support special ministries like PMI, a ministry that that we're tied to directly through Darius Smith. She serves there, and maybe through our giving and our volunteering, we can help out in places like that. Before we continue with Jesus' story, I'd like you to pray with me for the courage to stand up for life and to do the right thing when it comes to pregnancy. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, creator and sustainer of life, bless us with the courage to defend all life from conception to natural death. Lord, bless us with the strength to respect all peoples from east to west and north to south so that we may truly follow the call of Jesus to be neighbor 
Lord and giver of all life. Help us to value each person created and loved by you. In your mercy, guide and assist our efforts to promote dignity and value of all human life, born and unborn. And help us not just to give lip service to this cause, but to support and love those who courageously decide to keep their children. Lord, bring healing to those who have experienced abortion with all of its grief and loss. Restore them in fellowship with you. We ask these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we thought it was appropriate to begin this way as we're talking more children's stories today, but the story particularly is about the one child, the child Jesus. So in the time that's left, let's look at Jesus the boy. Uh, this chapter 2 of Luke is the only place we have the nativity, we have the circumcision of Jesus, and then immediately following that, we have Jesus the boy at the temple. He's presented at the temple, and then now this story. Those, that's, this is the only place we find stories about Jesus' boyhood anywhere in the scriptures. And so it's good to look at them. We're in Luke chapter 2. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, I encourage you to pick it up and open it to Luke 2. We're going to start at verse 41 this morning. Luke 2, verse 41. Luke writes, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to them, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So here's a, a little snapshot of Jesus as a boy. He's 12 years old. What that means is that he hadn't quite reached the age for bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah age was set at 13. At bar mitzvah, he would become a man. And, and a lot of things would change in his life. He would begin to take on responsibility for many of his own life decisions at 13 years old. Now, that sounds like a stretch for us, you know, when we think of our kids at 13. But if you look through the Old Testament, you'll find several prominent figures who were all 13. There were kings at age 13. There was a, uh, an architect on the tabernacle was 13 years old. There are a number of people who came into important positions at that very young age. And so... 
Here he is at age 12. He's very close to that time when he would be considered by his people a man. Well, his parents, following the custom, went up to Jerusalem every year because this was the big festival of Passover. Passover is a very important festival. And um, it was about 64 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Now think about walking that. <laughs> 64 miles there and 64 miles back. That's about a two-day journey in each direction, maybe a little bit more depending on, on how long they walked each day. And they would have joined a caravan, uh, a group of people. Some of them would be relatives. Some of them would be friends from their village. And they would join a caravan of some sorts because it was safer and because they knew everybody and they'd have great fellowship along the way. And, and as they'd go along, they'd pick up other groups on the way. And as they ascended the mount, they would be singing those psalms of ascent that you read in the book of Psalms. And, and it would be just one great giant parade along the way. It would be a great time for kids. A lot of time for kids. They didn't even have to travel with their families. Sometimes the kids traveled in a group together. Usually it would be towards where the women were and the men would walk together by themselves. Uh, they were probably talking man things like, how fast does your donkey go? Or maybe they'd learn skills like, you know, how to build a hunting shelter out of palm fronds and a duct tape roll, you know. I don't know what they talked about, but they would be doing that, doing man stuff. And it wouldn't be unusual for families to set camp together and the children not necessarily to even be sleeping with them at night. They might be bunked down in a group. Well, the group was safe. It was trusted. And this explains what happened in the second half of the story. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover, and afterwards they went home. But... There's a little note here, Jesus stayed behind. And they were about a day into their journey, or about halfway home, when somebody, and it was likely mom, who said, um, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? <laughs> Has anybody seen Jesus? And they began to look for him, and they went through the, the group, and it might have been a pretty big group, and nobody had seen him. And so they raced back the way they came to try to find Jesus. It reminds me of the Home Alone movies. You know? <laughs> Where's Kevin? <laughs> He's not on the plane. Well, once they get back, and remember, it took them a whole day to get back to Jerusalem. It says they searched for three days. And so by the, by the time they finally find him, they've been looking for him for about five days. They haven't seen him for all this length of time. Now, think about it, mothers, <laughs> fathers. Think about how you would feel. You'd start to be a little frantic. You'd be a little worried. And uh, that's what happened. Remember, Jesus is 12 years old. And so he, he's been learning to this point at the feet of local teachers and rabbis. Um, he would have started study quite young. And uh, he would have started apprenticeship quite young, too. I mean, he would have started just as a toddler alongside of Joseph, learning how to be a carpenter. And so uh, they, they would be growing up to the point where he could do pretty much anything a carpenter could do by age 12. And uh, he'd learned pretty much all they had to teach him in the local synagogues. 
And so Jesus gets to Jerusalem, and, and we have to kind of use our imaginations for this, but, but it's kind of implied here in the passage is that we, we think maybe he went off and anytime he had free time, he was over there with those teachers and scholars, and he was learning and he was talking and, and dialoguing with them. Because he had gotten to that point where he had to begin taking responsibility for his own education under the Jewish law. So it says, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Jesus was essentially here beginning to assert his own independence. Now, happened younger in that culture, but isn't it really what we parents try to do in our own children? We try to, to teach them and help them to grow and to learn until they get to the point where they can make their own decisions and they can live independently. Well, Jesus was just a little ahead of the curve here. Some have said that Jesus was teaching the teachers, but I don't really think that's what's going on here. Um, it says that he was listening and asking them questions. Now, this is a normal rabbinical style of learning. Uh, they would talk, the rabbis would talk, the teachers would talk, and the students would listen. And then the students were encouraged to ask questions. And then the rabbis would take those questions and kind of turn them back because they wanted to see how much their student had learned or absorbed. Well, you can see examples of this being done by Jesus all the way through the Gospels. It's a method he uses over and over, you know, whether it's parable or some other teaching, and then you have this time of interaction. And so this is what Jesus is doing uh, when his parents come and find him. And it says... Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was way beyond his, his, his age in wisdom and understanding. He would have been studying for bar mitzvah starting about age nine, learning Hebrew. Because by that time, many, many uh, Jews did not speak Hebrew in daily life. A lot of them began speaking either a dialect like Aramaic or they began to speak Greek because Greek was the, la the language of business all through the Roman Empire. And uh, so he would be studying and learning Hebrew and he would also be learning the rituals of the synagogue and the temple and he would be memorizing scripture, long passages of scripture. And it says, when his parents found him, they were astonished. I like the word flabbergasted better. One, just because I like the sound of the word flabbergasted. I like to say flabbergasted just because it has this really interesting sound when you say flabbergasted. But Mary immediately goes into mom mode. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You know there's tension here between Jesus, the Son of God, and Jesus, the Son of Mary. You know, there is this tension going on. I can't even imagine what that was like with him growing up. 
because some of that would have always existed. They knew who he was. They'd been told who he was. It had been confirmed who he was. And so there would be that tension as he was growing up. The crux of this whole story is Jesus' answer to his parents when they come looking. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Like, where else would I be? If you started where I should be, then you would have saved yourself three days. Because I'm right here. Now, he's not being disrespectful. Again, he's, he's acting out of this independence that he's beginning to develop. Uh, and I want to backtrack here for a moment. At the end of last week, at the end of the story about, the, about Simeon and, and the prophet and, and that whole little dedication part at the temple, at the very end, there's one line that you might have missed. It's Luke 2.40. And let me read what it says. It said, and this is right after the dedication. It says, and the child grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus was growing. Jesus was special. Jesus was different. And Jesus was growing into the ministry that he had come to perform. Philippians 2, 7 says that when Jesus left heaven, he emptied himself. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, how much he left behind, but it means that he restricted his own powers and knowledge so that he would grow up in this human form, having this human experience, so that we were directly able to relate to him in everything. But we're getting a little glimpse of the revelation of the Son of God in this passage, just a little one. He was growing, he was becoming wise, he was getting strong, and the grace of God was on him, and he got ready for the ministry that he was born to do. And he was in his father's house where he needed to be to do that. Now let me ask you a question. Are you still learning? Are you still growing? Are you growing into the ministry that Jesus has prepared for you? Now, I could hear from here, I can hear these answers swimming in your heads like, well, I've already got a ministry. Or maybe I'm too old to grow into ministry. How do you know? Maybe with new technology, you might live to be 130 years old. That means some of you who felt like you were getting on and ready for retirement, you're only halfway there. <laughs> Are you still learning? Are you still growing? Are you like Jesus growing into the ministry prepared for you by God? Do you know, in Bible college, I, I had a classmate in my freshman year and, and freshman year, I was one of the oldest kids in the class. I was like 23 in my freshman year, and a lot of them were like 17, 18-year-old. They, they just felt like kids to me. And, and uh, in my freshman class, there was a fellow who was 82 years old. And his name was Morris, and he was there to learn. 
And he learned. He asked questions. He processed. He worked it through. And he said that he figured he, there, you could never be too old to learn more about Jesus. During summer break, uh, he loaded up his station wagon with his favorite dog, and they traveled across the country and slept in the station wagon because he wanted to see new sites, places he'd never been, and have that experience. How about you? You still hungry? You still want new experiences? You still want new ground to cover with God, new places to go with the Lord, new places to serve? Where are you going to be? And what are you going to be doing when the Lord returns? I'm 62 now. I have a hard time saying that. It almost doesn't want to come out of my mouth. But I'm 62 now, and, and maybe, maybe I'm only halfway there. One thing I know for sure is that when the Lord Jesus comes, I want to be found in my Father's house and in my Father's service, going about my Father's business, still growing and still learning and still growing into the next thing that God has prepared for me to do. That's what I want to be doing. How about you? How about you? I know I've heard the stories of the retirement plans, laying on the beach, wasting away in Margaritaville, doing the Jimmy Buffett thing proud. You know, we, we all have dreams of that drifting away. And that's okay for a while. But what about after that? Even at an early age, Jesus was listening to the teachers. He was asking questions. He was blowing their minds with the things that he already knew from his studies. And God gave him wisdom and put his grace on him. So my challenge to you is to stay a student. Listen to the teachers. Ask the questions. Grow into the ministry that God has called you to and is preparing you for. Maybe you, know, maybe you have a ministry now. Maybe God will change, just like we sometimes change careers. Maybe that was for a season and God will take you into a new ministry area as you go on. You never know. We have to be listening to God and hearing what he has to say. God can begin preparing you no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, if we're listening to God, if we're seeking God and studying and learning. The very last passage of this section is very similar to the one I read a few moments ago that ended the last section. And here's what it says about Jesus. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Talking about his parents here. But his mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. My prayer is that we, like Jesus, will be found in the Father's house and grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray. Father God, let us be like Jesus, even the boy Jesus. Let us take responsibility for our own growth, 
not waiting for someone to spoon feed us, but grabbing onto the truth of God any way we can take hold of it. Lord, grow us into the ministry that you've prepared for us. May we be found doing our Father's business until the day that we're caught up with you in the air or meet you on the other side of death's doorway. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.